All right, welcome to this week's episode of Mastering You. So today I'm talking to no other than the athlete and actor Steve Coleman, also um, known as Steve Wushu, and you'll see why in a second. So Steve has won the Great Britain National Wushu Championship seven times, as well as breaking and setting new Great Britain National Wushu records. Um, Steve's the first competitor from the UK to win medals in the long fist category at the European Championships since Ray Park in 1994. And Steve talks about how he visualised himself actually doing this from a very early age. Uh, Steve's also appeared on countless TV shows and films as either a stuntman or an actor. Um, but he is more widely known as the most dominating athlete in Wushu over the past 20 years. And again, we talk about what what it was that allowed him and enabled him to achieve the longevity in this sport. And we also talk about the principles of, of that longevity that can apply to all aspects of life as well. And for me personally, I was really fascinated to learn about how Steve was studying philosophy at the age of 10 and how that essentially has shaped his whole career in martial arts, acting and business in general. So really hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. Let's get into the episode. Okay, Steve Coleman, welcome to the podcast, welcome to Mastering You, and um, we, we had a little chat before this, and I was just explaining to you why I so wanted you on the podcast, you know, the Mastering You, the whole philosophy is to help improve people's lives, share motivational and inspirational stories, and also learn the lessons of self-mastery that have helped people achieve the successes that they've achieved, and as I've just mentioned in the intro, you've got many of them to share. So I want to share them with the listeners today. I'd love to find out about what any like secrets and tips and tricks that you've experienced along the way to achieve all that you've achieved. Um, obviously at LPT, you know, it's all about lifestyle performance. So if we can delve into nutrition and fitness and mindset and all those things that have helped you get your career to where it is, that would be amazing. Um, but first, let's we start at the start. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, um, would you? So, at this point in your career, would you, firstly, would you say that you, martial arts is what you're most well known for? I'm guessing. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely so, the first thing. so what what started all that? Well, where did that where did that all start? Um, back when I was around six years old. Okay. Um, back in the uh, mid eighties. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine, Sean Eady. Um, was already taking part in karate classes. I had no idea what it was at the time. Uh, and I just happened to be around his house um, and he put a movie on called No Retreat, No Surrender. Right, okay. Which, if you watch it these days, is absolutely terrible. Okay. Back then, was a fantastic movie for the 1980s. Lots of really cheesy martial arts action. One of Van Damme's very first films as well. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Um, we sat and watched that, even though we probably shouldn't. I think it was a 50 or something. <laughs> okay. Um, and I was just awestruck by the way these guys moved, you know, doing yeah. these spinning kicks and all that kind of thing. Um, and I, I said to Sean, I said, what is all this? What is, you know, what's karate and all that? Mm. Um, he, went, he then went on to show me his karate belts, his coloured belts that he'd been getting through his karate class. So him and his older brother, Luke, had been going to a karate class um, and training and 
you know, getting involved in all of that. Of course, I was like, wow, okay, yeah, I, want, yeah, I yeah. want to get involved in this as well. Yeah. I ended up joining that karate class, which was at the Windmill Club. Um, okay, the, the Suga Club. Yes, yeah. it was, yeah, it was at the Suga Club. So that was, uh, was previously a... It was a, it was a pub and the snooker club was on the other side. Ah, right, okay. Um, I'm not sure what it is now. Still but, a snooker club. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, um, my coach at the time, Sensei Barney, we called him. Yeah. Um, he basically ran a karate class um, on Tuesday nights, and I went to that and got started. Oh, wow. On that. So I uh, competed in karate um, for about, it must have been about four Five, six years at least, I think. Okay. Around that sort of time. So what belt did you make? Um, I got to black belt. Okay. Junior black belt. Competed locally, regionally, and nationally at junior level. Um, did very, very well. Found that I had um, a knack for competing in martial arts. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, but it was very much spurred along by uh, my old brother, Andrew. So Andrew was already involved in Kung Fu and all that sort of thing. Um, really into martial arts movies. Um, in the 80s and early 90s. Yeah. Um, I think because I had quite an interest in it as well. Is he an older brother? Yes, he's older. Okay. He's older than so I you've got yeah. to learn a little bit. I always think if you've got that elder to, to or someone that's elder who's already got some knowledge or some mm-hmm. passion that you've oh, got definitely. a little bit of an advantage because you're younger and you've got more that's time. That's right. Yeah. I definitely looked up to him um, for many years. Um, his training, his enthusiasm and all that kind of thing. Um, and it was Andrew and his um, interest in Kung Fu, Chinese martial arts, that um, made me decide to quit doing karate and then start doing Kung Fu. Okay. Um, there wasn't much in the way of Kung Fu classes in Kettering at the time. I did eventually find uh, one or two smaller classes, Wing Chun and Praying Mantis. Um, but um, I ended up buying loads of books. So I started, wow. um, I started paper round at 12 years old. The money that I've got, um, I started going to WH Smith and ordering books, martial arts books, um, all the original Bruce Lee books, the Tao of Jeet Kune Do, which is, uh, is transforming in its philosophy. Mm. So uh, regardless of the martial art that it teaches, the philosophy that Bruce Lee had, um, is it transformed a lot for me about how I approach martial arts and life in general. Mm. That was kind of the starting yeah. point of becoming more self-aware um, about my own drive and motivation, what I wanted to achieve and how to achieve it. Mm. Things like, um, you only get out what you put in. That basic template for uh, success. That's really interesting. That's, uh, cause that's, that's quite impactful for a young guy, for a young person, isn't it? It to, is. To have that, I think that, I mean, we, I, I've talked a lot about self-awareness and the impact that self-awareness can have um, in, in past episodes, um, so no, no, that's, that's carry on. That's really interesting. So um, from that, um, because I started buying a lot of uh, material to start learning, uh, I soon found that I was running out of money. So I decided to scrap the paper round and I um, started working in a chip shop. Now just around the corner from where I used to live, the chip shop was also a Chinese takeaway, um, and within a, a matter of months. Um, I'd realised that the chap that owned the Chinese takeaway was also a philosopher. Wow. So he was from Hong Kong and he was really into um, Chinese philosophy, mm. um, Taoism, Confucianism, that sort of thing. Um, and he had a lot of books in English on Taoism. 
um, which he let me read. At the age of 13 or 14, it was mostly yeah. completely over my head, but it did get me on the path of um, opening my mind up in a broader sense. Mm. Um, drives curiosity. Massively drives curiosity. I've, I've found that. I found that a lot. I listen to a lot of stuff and read a lot of stuff and listen to a lot of quite deep podcasts and probably only take in about <laughs> sometimes 30, 40%, mm. you know, but I think, you, I don't know if you agree with this, but I think you don't realise what unconsciously that's doing in your mind mm. Mm. Um, and true. what you probably are picking up more than you think, um, but also, like you say, it drives that curiosity to okay, well, if I don't understand this, how can I, what, what, how can I learn it more? How can I understand it more? Mm, mm. It, um, I found that the pursuit of life philosophy from a young age, from sort of about 12, 13 years old, um, really helped me make more firm decisions about what I wanted from life. Mm. Um, and that sounds really crazy at such a young age, um, but it was at a very basic level. I knew that I wanted to be involved in martial arts. Um, I knew that it was going to be a lifetime thing. Um, I had no idea of the journey that I was about to undertake or already undertaking, um, and the sort of things and areas that it would take me to. Um, I was going with the flow. Um, so um, being in that Chinese takeaway, um, I learned to cook Chinese food, which was fantastic. I was exposed to Chinese culture. Mm. Um, and as a teenager, this was totally new, completely fresh, um, had no idea what it was about, and I was very open to learning. I started speaking Mandarin. Um, I was really interested in things that were going on in Asia, it really sparked an interest in me. Um, and I was around uh, Simon's house. Simon was the owner of the takeaway. I was around his house one day having lunch, um, and they were watching um, a Chinese news channel. Uh, and I remember very vividly um, whatever it is they were talking about, because I couldn't understand what they were talking at the time. Um, this girl came on, and she was doing this very fast and ferocious type of kung fu. And I was like, wow, what, what is this? Uh, Simon said, oh, this is called wushu. And I was like, what's wushu? <laughs> is it kung fu? What is it? Yeah. And he said, oh, it's wushu. It's like, it's a national sport of China. So basically, it's the same as kung fu, um, but it's used for teaching in schools, health and fitness, but it's primarily a sport. It's an Olympic recognised sport. Um, and people train and compete in it at international level. Mm. And I was like, wow, wushu. So, um, as I always do, uh, bear in mind, back then we had no internet, no mobile phone, no mobile phones or anything like that. Books. <laughs> Books. So I went to the library, they had nothing on Wushu. Wow. Um, I went to uh, Waterstones, which had just opened up in Ketrin, and I was like, Wushu, what have you got? Of course, they went on the computer. <laughs> oh, we've got uh, nothing. So I went down to Chinatown in London to the uh, culture stores, and I just started flicking through everything. Wow. And and how old were you at this point? Uh, 14. 14, okay. going on 15. Yeah. I think I was about 14. Um, at which point I was also in the army cadets. Right. So um, I was also intrigued um, to get involved in the military in some capacity. I'd seen the army cadets um, at my school. And I was like, oh, quite like the idea of that. And I joined that. So on a sort of side note, I was in the army cadets and the Royal Marine cadets throughout my whole teenage um, right, okay. time. Yeah. which was sort of giving me the inspiration to maybe have a military career 
post school. Yeah. That's where I was thinking. Because I was trying to keep my options open, but think about something that I would be good at and I would be interested in. Um, so anyway, I used to travel down to London uh, on the train at about um, 14, 15 years old. Sometimes uh, on my own, sometimes with um, Simon and his family. And lo and behold, I started finding books on Wushu. Uh, most of them were in Chinese, so I had no idea what they said. Um, I couldn't read Chinese at all. Uh, but there are so many pictures. Um, and okay. I ended up buying dozens and dozens of Wushu books. Um, and just learning what I could. The ones in English, obviously, were not very well written in English. Yeah. And I didn't learn as much as I what was it about? What was it about the books that you were buying? And the, was it just the images, the pictures were very inspiring? Yeah, very much so. Um, it, the, it was guys and girls um, doing these incredible martial arts poses. I guess if you were, you were inspired originally from what was on the screen, mm. you're, you had like, that was probably something that was interesting you, right? What you see on the screen. I mean, let's, I don't know, let's face it. If you, what you see on the screen in a martial art movie is very different to what may happen on the street in a street fight, right? Yeah. It's, it mm -hmm. looks, even though it's impactful, it looks cool. It's, it looks, yeah, it's so there's like an art about it, isn't it? That's correct, yeah. And I suppose, yeah. was that, was it, was that translating from the books that you were reading? Yeah, so um, Wushu is um, a performance sport more than it is a martial art. And this is where I sort of changed from martial arts for um, the stereotypical use, which is self-defense, yeah. um, to <clears throat> martial arts for performance and competition. Mm. So Wushu is primarily a sport for performance. Yeah. Okay. Um, the thing about Wushu is it looks fantastic in its performance because it's a performance art. And that initial inspiration I had as a kid watching martial arts on the movies and this new Wushu thing that I found in my mid-teens um, they were very, very closely knit. And I think that's what really pulled me into Wushu. Um, almost by fate as well, um, Andrew, my old brother, came home one day um, with this yellow book called um, Wushu, or The Basics of Wushu, I think it was called. Um, and it was a book that was printed in 1981, same year I was born, um, written by Donnie Yen's mother, Bosin Mark. Um, and it was a English it was an American um, uh, piece, but it was in very, very good English with photographs of um, everybody doing wushu, no-handed cartwheels, spears, swords, all sort of thing. And when he brought it home, obviously I was never allowed to touch his stuff. Mm. Waited for Andrew to leave the house to work. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is amazing. I was like writing down the training exercises and all yeah, that yeah. the book back. Um, I have since bought my own copy. Um, <laughs> But um, it is a very, very good starting point for Wushu. And I trained all the stuff in that book for months and months and months and months. But it wasn't until I was um, about 16, I think it was about 16 or 17, 16, that I actually started going to a Wushu class in London um, and actually training properly under a coach. Um, How often would you be training? Um, I would train myself every single day. And I'd right. do it before school or wow. after school. Uh, um, and so this is at 15, you said? This was about 15 years old. Yeah. Um, I had nowhere to train, so I would go down to the garages where it was private and I would train in the evening on my own. Um, it was only loosely based on what I could learn from the books. Mm. So it wasn't, it wasn't very good, but it was a good starting point. My enthusiasm was way more 
than my technical ability. Mm. That's for sure. That's some serious dedication. I was well. I think with the learning of um, different types of philosophy, I'd realised that if I wanted to achieve something, if I really wanted something, I had to put a lot of effort into it. It wasn't enough to just want it. So that that's that's the that's the reason this podcast exists, right? Because because it you, the foundations are the key, right? Absolutely. The, yeah. You know, bringing it all the way back to. To, to surface level, want to lose a few pounds, want to want to have a healthier life. You you know until you have your own philosophies of of why it's important to you and and what the purpose is and mm. and what the principles are behind the purpose. Mm. It you, you won't find that level of you won't you won't be able to create that level of commitment or motivation or people people call it willpower motivation. But when you've got that. Grounding, you weren't having to motivate yourself to That's train right. before school and after school every day, right? Because it was just there. That's right. A lot of people, um, I hear over the years, a lot of people struggling with motivation. The problem I've found uh, with a lot of people's motivation is it's very, very superficial. It's not deep-rooted. Um, and that actually echoes what Simon Sinek uh, talks about yeah. in his um, videos about finding your why. And I didn't realise that myself until I'd watched these videos, that actually way that's back what then, you were doing when that's you were what I was doing. Young, yeah. Yeah. My motivation wasn't forced, um, it wasn't found on any superficial anything. It was it came about because of who I wanted to become, why I wanted to be this type of person. Mm. That's led me down a lot of um, deep thought um, processes, I guess, um, asking a lot of questions about myself, um, who I want to be and why, mm. um, what sort of things led me to those questions in the first place. Um, a lot of very personal issues growing up have sort of moved me in that direction. Why, do, why did I want to do wushu and not boxing? Mm. Um, why did I um, ultimately decide not to have a military career and do a wushu career instead? Why am I Enthused to do film and TV work um, and not anything else. Um, and all of these things spark personal questions, which you, if you're brave you enough. You need that groundwork though, don't you? You've got to have that groundwork. And that's not taught in schools, it's something that either kids or youngsters have to either come across from themselves or have some form of parent or mentor or someone that. Is going to teach them those, mm. those things. Mentor is uh, is exactly the right thing, and um, fortunately for me, um, I found my first actual mentor in the form of my coach, uh, Mike Donahue, who's still still my coach today. Right. Um, yeah, I want to talk about him. Yeah, we we'll we'll, um, we'll have a chat about Mike because he's probably one of the most influential people in my life. Has been for my whole adult life uh, for many reasons. Um, but I found sort of that mentorship through different individuals by accident mm. throughout my teenage years, uh, which ultimately led me to um, Wushu and competing and training in Wushu, and uh, ultimately winning the National Wushu Championships, which then led me to taking Wushu way, way more seriously. And that in itself, obviously, has changed all of my adult life. Um, so, there was a lot of um, learning and growing and um, uh, 
um, becoming more self-aware um, in my teenage years. I matured very, very quickly as a teenager. Um, I think you do when you're playing high-level sport. Yes. Because you're around like adults. It's interesting because we both we both were in um, sports that are kind of niche, <laughs> to put it mildly. Very much so, yeah. But I, I spent a lot of time with, with like adults from a very early age. So you kind of grow up quite quickly mm. when you when that happens, don't you? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay, so when did you win your first national championship? That is a good question. Um, I think it was around 2001 or 2002. Um, so I've been in London for 20 a years ago. Years. Yeah, a long time yeah. ago, yeah. And um, that's when I sort of knew that um, I was going to start taking Wushu a lot more seriously. Uh, I was in London for about um, five or six years in total. Um, and being in London and doing martial arts, especially something as um, showy offy as Wushu, um, you almost by default end up doing performances, live performances mm. and demonstrations, which then leads you into doing things like film and TV and that sort of thing. Yeah. So um, the team that I was with at the time, uh, we did a lot of demonstrations in Wushu around London, um, which led us to a TV show called Masters of Combat, which okay. was aired, I think, in 2000 uh, on BBC Two. That was my first exposure to anything TV-wise, which I absolutely loved to bits. It was a, a, an opportunity to do what I really enjoy doing in front of the camera, mm. and that little bit of fame, albeit short-lived, obviously felt fantastic yeah. because you know my friends and family were, oh, we saw you on TV. Right, like, okay. Um, so obviously I was hooked straight away, and um, I ended up doing an audition with my friends from London. Um, I had no idea it was an audition, so I didn't know what auditions really were, I wasn't yeah. that clued up on it at the time. But I do recall we went to this tiny little studio in London somewhere, in central London. Um, I just went along with them. They were auditioning. Um, I don't really know what I was doing, I was just hanging around with them. Um, but I went in with them, they called us in one at a time, name down on a bit of paper, yeah. agent, no, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Um, What's an agent? Exactly. So I basically just did some some wushu stuff that yeah. I've been learning in front of these guys and had like a little camera setup, sort of like what we've got here. Um, and then that's it, that was it. We left and we went out to lunch and then a few hours later a friend of mine, Alexis, got a phone call. Um, and all of a sudden Alexis said, Steve, you got the job. And I was like, what job? And he goes, the job we auditioned for this morning. I was like, <laughs> what was that? And he goes, the music video we were auditioning for this morning. And I was like, Oh, cool. Okay, fair enough. And I didn't really know anything more about it. I know right. it sounds dark now, yeah, but yeah. That, that, I mean, I had no idea really what that was all about. Mm. Um, but anyway, I ended up getting all these details, um, be at this location at this time, and blah, 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 blah. Um, and that was the Elvis Presley versus JXL music video, A Little Less Conversation. Oh, wow, that was huge. That was my very, very first paid job wow. um, for TV. I spent the day there doing some kung fu and wushu in front yeah, of yeah. I paid 250 quid, which when you're 18 years old is a lot of money. Um, and I was like, this is incredible. You get paid for doing this stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's fantastic. So of course, when something good happens, you want to pursue yeah, it. Yeah. And that's that's how that So that was the catalyst that was for the catalyst. saying, wow, I could do be a martial artist or, or you know, and also um, become 
what, what were you thinking at that stage then? What, what, what are you thinking is the potential? Well, um, I guess you didn't think, oh, I'll become an actor. No, no, absolutely not. No, I mean, I didn't know where to go with it. Um, but I do recall having done it, had a conversation with um, my coach at the time and the secretary of that, uh, that club um, about Ray Park. Now, Ray Park was also a wushu athlete in the 1990s. Um, one of Great Britain's best wushu athletes, in fact, he was a European champion as well. Okay. And at the time, I didn't really know much about Ray Park. Um, I ended up watching some old videos of him competing um, and I had this overwhelming desire to um, sort of overcome everything that he's achieved. I just, I saw him and I was like, he is the best wushu athlete at the time. I was like, my job now is to be the best wushu athlete. Everything that he has done, I want to do better. Okay. And I, I got a little bit obsessed with finding videos of him, mm. seeing what he was good at, what he was known for, um, his competition results, what his favorite weapons were. Um, and it became a very um, specific objective for me to, to beat Ray Park, even though I couldn't because he'd retired from Wushu, because he was um, became a stuntman. He was Darth right. Maul in Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Oh, wow. He was The Phantom Menace. Wow. So, um, literally, by the time I started training in London, he had just finished. And um, I made it my mission to be a better wushu athlete, a more well-known wushu athlete than Ray Park. I wanted everybody in Great Britain, when they thought about or talked about wushu, to say Steve Coleman, because at the moment it's Ray Park. Mm. So that became my mission for wushu. Um, but also having just done that music video, I was like, so this is where Ray went with his wushu. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. So I want to do sort of what Ray's doing. So I want to get into stunts. I want to be able to do wushu in front of the camera and get paid for it, which would be fantastic alongside training mm. for competition. So these things were starting to jigsaw them, themselves yeah, yeah, together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Ray Park was sort of like a, almost like a, um, a target on the wall. Even though I'd never met him, I'd never spoken to him at the time, and obviously I had no angst against him or anything like that, but what he'd done and what he'd achieved became a, um, a target for me. I think, that, I think that's quite a common thing, isn't it? Particularly people that get into sports, but you know, I think particularly at a younger age, having someone that you can kind of, you know, you don't want to copy them or you don't want to be, but almost like a guiding post. It's like, you know, that's, that's the direction. You, you know, that's the direction I want to go in. Yes, I think, I think that's quite um, powerful, isn't it? It's, I think it's very important to have role models um, of some description. Not to get carried away or obsessed with them mm. and by them, but to see what they've done, use their, their experience as a template so that you can find your own path via that template. It's never going to be exactly the same, um, but you can at least benefit from their experience. I think that's a big mistake people make with social media is um, you, you, obviously the, the big talking point all the time at the moment is how social media is having a big impact on people's mental health. Yeah. Um, and I think the issue is, is people compare themselves to these people mm. rather than using them as inspiration, like obviously following the right people that you want to be, in, 
find inspiration from. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you, if you see a guy or a girl that has a as a, as a, a an ideal body that you think that you aspire to, you know, rather than rather than using that and and thinking, oh, I'm never going to be like that, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 taking it personally and using that as oh, that's that's my like like you did, like that's the thing that I'm that's I'm going to use a bit of that for my my motivation to, to work hard in the gym. Yeah. Um, if it's a if it's growing your business, maybe there's a business person that has traits. And I think if you look at the people that you highly respect, and you know anyone listening to this on, on on your podcast, on this podcast, like if you look at, and you look at the traits of those people. You know, because you're not going to agree with all of the traits of everyone, right? No, absolutely. You know, you can you can look at people that are really controversial. You can look at the President Trumps of the world, and and you could hate every aspect of him. But there might be, this, you know, there's no denying that people of that stature are going to be having strengths that you want to aspire to. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and I think that's really key in in today's world. Like, obviously, back when you were. When you were at this stage, just building your career, you just had books, um, you know, and maybe mentors. But but now people have endless amounts of inspiration mm-hmm. at, at the fingertips. But it's almost like overkill, and that they they kind of utilize. Would you agree with that? Like, yeah, I think that um, social media has saturated that for sure, and I think people now have so much opportunity for inspiration that um, they can't help but to start comparing. And they're switching from one to another. They'll be inspired by this person for six months, but then, oh, this person comes along. Oh, well, that person's better than that person, so I'm inspired by that person. Mm. Um, And I think there's um, a bit of a problem because with social media, obviously, you also put yourself out there. And by doing that, you are then telling everybody here, here I am, this is me, and without telling everybody who my inspirations are, you could probably guess by the clothes That's I'm interesting, wearing. that's interesting, because because when you were looking at, is it Ray Park? Mm. Yeah, when you were looking at Ray Park, and, and you know, that, that's a one-way thing, isn't it? Yes. Because he's he's on TV, he's in the magazines, he's in the books, mm-hmm. You you've not got an opportunity then to say, well, this is where I am, and I'm just here. And that maybe that is the difference, isn't it? That like that that is a two-way thing now, mm. and you just mm. got to realise anyone doesn't matter what point you're at, it doesn't matter where you're at. You're on your own journey, and yeah. and I think people forget what people have gone through to get to where they're at as well. Because a lot of the time, if people knew what people had to go through to get to where they're at, they probably wouldn't want to take that journey. No, I mean, <laughs> the, 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 the truth of struggle to success is more failures than success. I mean, Michael Jordan obviously being the yeah. perfect example, we all know that one. Um, but I would hazard a guess that 99.99% of people that have achieved any type of a success um, have failed more times than most people would be willing to mm. um, take on to achieve that success. Yeah. Um, but that's why the motivation has to come from the why, do you know what I mean? Rather than just because I want to earn money or be famous, it's not enough. It's yeah. not enough to drive you through the most difficult times. Where, yeah, no, sorry. No, where you, where you literally have nothing, you have no money, your opportunities are gone, 
nobody believes in you. In fact, you've probably got more haters than you have anything else. Uh, you're fed up with the same people telling you it's okay, it's fine to be who you are, all that. Yeah, thing. yeah. And you just want a break to achieve. Yeah. You know, um, getting through those mentally and physically tough times, your motivation has to be so deep rooted that you just know, you just unconsciously know that you're going to get somewhere mm. if you just keep going. That, that's why I guess, like, the enjoyment and the and in loving the process is so important, right? Yes. Because if you, like, well, I imagine, like, it's well known, acting as a career is well known for being pretty brutal. Yeah. Because, you know, you have to go through so many auditions, you're gonna get many um, knockbacks, yeah. and you, 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 having that fighter mentality of just getting back up again, just going back to the next audition. And you know, I'm guessing you've had to learn that over the years, right? Yeah, I mean, Wushu in itself, being an athlete in Wushu, uh, bear in mind that in England, Wushu is a practically unknown sport. You know, you can go pretty much anywhere in the country, stop somebody at Randiger, do you know what Wushu is? And pretty much every time, women like, have no idea what you're talking about. Mm. Um, because of how unknown wushu is, um, it's made it very, very difficult for anybody in this country to be good at it. Um, whereas in Asia, it's massive, it's in schools, it's everywhere. Um, so a lot of people take part in it and a lot of people are very good at it. So to do well in wushu uh, with very little opportunity, very little funding uh, or anything like that in this country, you've got to be either crazy, which I think <laughs> I probably am slightly, um, or extremely determined to achieve something that nobody else has achieved. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And love, and love you've the process. Absolutely love yeah. the process. Um, and every time I think about my history of Wushu training, right from the very beginning, there is um, a lot of um, difficulties and uh, hardships before there was any real successes. In fact, um, my my greatest successes in Wushu came much, much, much later on, much later on. Um, and it's um, only, th there's a saying actually from Ernst Senna, I believe, it was Ernst Senna, who said, um, there's something to be said for longevity. And he obviously was in Formula One for a very, very long time. Mm. And I remember seeing that saying written down somewhere back in sort of 2004, 2005. Yeah. And I thought to myself, that's something that nobody's ever done in Wushu. People yeah. in Wushu, Wushu athletes' careers are five, six, seven years, eight years sometimes. Um, it's a very quick, over and done with sort of thing for young people in their, in their um, early mid-twenties. And I read that saying, there's something to be said about longevity. And I thought, that's really interesting. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna be that one person that just keeps going. Mm. And People are going to know me for Wushu, for being involved in Wushu for years, for decades. Um, and already, I mean, now I'm coming up to four, I'm going to 40 next year, and nobody really competes at, at Wushu at 40 years old. Um, not least at international level. Um, but I plan to be either the first or one of the minority in order to do that. So um, I'm very, very much influenced by things like that. I'll, I'll see something. Um, and it will spark something in me and I'll, I'll carry that. So is that one of the key drivers is just that, that longevity factor? Yeah, longevity for sure, because um, 
I don't like things that are easy come easy go, mm. and um, because they're non they're not memorable. Mm. Um, a saying by Bruce Lee from the Tao of Jeet Kune Do actually is um, the key to immortality is to first live a life worth remembering, and I will always remember that. I learned that when I read that book when I was thirteen years old. And obviously that sparked a massive question. What can I what do? What book is that again? It's called The Tao of Jeet Kune Do. So right. Jeet Kune Do yeah. is the martial art. Yeah. Uh, the Tao of Jeet Kune Do is sort of his philosophy behind it. I've read Striking Thoughts. Um, Love that. Mm. I haven't read that one. That's... A lot of Bruce Lee's books um, will uh, have a lot of his philosophy in there because he was mm. a philosophy major yeah. in the United States. Um, and his philosophy um, is, is very, very... Uh, inspiring, but that particular quote, the key to immortality is to first live a life worth remembering. That stuck with me for a very, very long time. And then when I got that Urban Center quote, I'm sure it was Urban Center, I might have to uh, double check that, um, about longevity, I was like, people remember people for doing something over a very long period of time. Yeah. And over this long period of time, I haven't always been the best, haven't always won everything. Um, there are other people that are better than me, that have been better than me. I've been beaten by many people as well mm. in competition. Um, it's never a case of always at the top, stay at the top. I think longevity is a really, it is a really good um, philosophy for all aspects of life, isn't it? It might be. If you start a business, like people want, you know, uh, uh, I mean, where are we, LPT, like 12, 15 years now. Um, you know, if I, if I knew that you'd have to, to, to get to the point where we're at now, the amount of work we have to do, you know, it, at that stage, early on, you're like, oh, really? If, some, if, if someone to lay out what you'd have to do to get to where you're, you're at, you know, you probably wouldn't do it. But mm. I think um, I think it, it is key to have that. that and I think, like you said, the, the greats are remembered for it, like Roger Federer, he's, he's you know, gonna go down as a legend yeah. <clears throat> I mean, there are many sports stars, aren't there? They, they achieve big things, but they have quite short careers. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, my my background sports snooker. Like Ronnie Sullivan's just won his sixth world title. Perfect example. Of and he, you know, he actually said, interestingly, I actually picked up on it when they did they did the um, the, the awards ceremony. You know, they he actually said because they're talking about you know are you the greatest now. You know, even though Stephen Henry's won it seven times, he's like, well, uh, I, you know, he, he's quite modest, but I'm not not too bothered about that. But I'm very proud of the longevity mm. because he's, I think, he's the first snooker player to win in, in all th three different decades. Wow. Um, and no, no doubt he'll probably win a seventh or even eighth. But I think so. And and the interesting thing that I, I'll, I'll curve around, like Ronnie, Ronnie got into fitness. Ron, Ronnie is like a, an athlete himself runner and has been for about I think about eight ten years now super into his running and I'm massive believer that the combination of that um, added to the fact that he's been working with Steve Peters who's the mindset guy um, the the author of the chimp paradox those two things have <clears throat> been the catalyst in my opinion um, to where he's got and, and obviously I'm I'm guessing for you your dedication to fitness has been the reason why you're going to be competing at a world-class level in your 40s. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. The, um, I get a lot of questions from younger athletes um, over, the, over the years when I go to competitions. 
how and why do you keep doing wushu? Um, the answer to the why is because I can and because nobody else does it um, and because I still really, really enjoy it. The process of training, the hardship, the challenges um, and the thrill of competing, that whole mm. adrenaline rush. And if you win, fantastic, that's an added bonus. But the, the key is obviously the process and yeah. what you have to do to get there. Um, the how is very much in education um, about um, health, fitness, and your age. So it's no um, it's no secret that as you get older, things do get more difficult. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to stop doing them. This is a myth that a lot of people really need to get rid of. Just because you get into your 30s and then into your 40s, you don't have to stop doing what you enjoy doing. Mm. You just have to find a better way of going about it. So for me, the difference between wushu in my 20s and my 30s basically meant I started doing less skill training and more physical conditioning and paying more attention to my diet and my overall lifestyle, reducing stress, uh, bringing in more positives, uh, relaxing more, uh, eating even more clean than I used to, knowing what I'm feeding my body, mm. um, but understanding that uh, as I get older, my metabolism slows down, recovery takes longer, I can't smash training as hard as I used to in my 20s, but I can still find ways to be very effective to achieve the results I need to be able to compete at the highest level. And that is a very ongoing process, so I'm always learning, even now, even though I'm backed by years of experience, I'm learning every single year that goes by what works for my body now, what works for my lifestyle, how can I achieve um, what I have achieved for the next level, despite my body getting older um, and the difficulties therein. Um, a lot of that, though, basically comes down to um, the philosophy that my coach helped me get involved with. So my coach, Mike, yeah. um, he's been my mentor ever since I've known him, so about 20 years. And he got me onto Napoleon Hill. Ah, okay. So my, my coach is very successful. My, that's my first personal development book. Yeah, I would say that's probably my, my first one, Think and Grow Rich. So um, my coach is a successful IT businessman, runs a fantastic uh, uh, IT company. But his inspiration, his, um, his philosophy is from Napoleon Hill, from Think and Grow Rich. Right. And as a result, he is also very successful in his endeavours. So his business is very successful. And as a wushu coach, he is the best coach this country has ever had, by a million miles. Um, probably one of the world's best coaches in wushu. Considering that he's not paid to coach wushu, mm. he refuses to take money from <clears> wushu because <throat> he does it for the love of it. Um, and the people that he has coached, every single one of them has achieved notable success. So. His two, two main students, obviously myself, and my junior training partner, Sam Mack, who's now an adult. Sam was Great Britain's first junior world champion in Wushu, um, and probably this country's best Wushu athlete to date, um, in terms of his overall ability to actually do Wushu. Uh, no two ways about it. Um, Mike has been the catalyst for Sam and I to achieve what we've achieved in Wushu, but also um, our mentor. For me, in terms of my business, in terms of my philosophy, my personal development, um, and my attitude towards wushu and competition as a whole. Um, through Mike, Mike is um, sort of like one of the main guys in my mastermind group. Um, so if 
anybody that knows Napoleon Hill and King Gregor yeah. would know all about mastermind yeah. groups. Uh, Mike is um, one of the pivotal, pivotal um, guys within that mastermind group. And always one of the first people I go to for questions uh, that I need answering or need some advice on. Yeah. Um, so Napoleon Hill was the starting point for my adult direction of philosophy, I guess, um, my personal development. Napoleon Hill also led me on to um, Jim Rohn and Tony Robbins. Less so Tony Robbins, that's, that's more of a big business type thing now. In his early days, in the 80s, um, I found his stuff quite inspirational. Mm. Um, the older books, um, the, the Giant Within, I think, was yeah. one of his first. Awake from the Giant. Awake, that's yeah. right, yeah. So I read that first and I was like, wow. Yeah, we went on a similar journey, so that was, that was pretty much my journey. I think it was, I think it was uh, Napoleon Hill, and then I think it was Brian Tracy, mm. Tony Robbins, then I think Jim Rohn came later. Yeah. Um, I think, you see, it's a funny one, Napoleon Hill, because it seems to be a really common first personal development journey book for, for many, many people. Many people. Yeah. yeah. And that in itself speaks volumes. I mean, it sold like, what's it sold? Like oh, 200 million? Something crazy. But, yeah. you know, if you have faith in the process, and really put yourself into that, like really understand the book. I mean, it took me about three or four times of reading the book to fully absorb it, because it's so information heavy, mm. and you really have to, um, you have to let go of a lot of things that you are conditioned to think about <clears throat> in order to fully appreciate what this book is telling you. Mm. Um, but, by putting those action, by putting those uh, principles into action, you will achieve success. Although it's called Think and Grow Rich, it's, it's not, not just about, about money. Money is no. just one example. Yeah, yeah. Um, and by, I mean, I have put those principles into action in every single thing that I do, and with my coach as my mentor and um, one of the first people I turn to uh, to talk to. Um, I've found my adult life reaching success in every endeavour. Yeah. Uh, it fills me with confidence in myself, uh, but also with um, uh, a sense of um, maturity about it's not always going to be perfect, it might not be as you envisaged, but one thing is for sure, if you keep on it, you stay educated about what you're doing, keep an open mind mm. and work hard at it, you will achieve success. Now, whether that's fat loss, muscle building, physical conditioning for a sport, um, business, earning money, um, acquisition of superficial things. So, look, so what we're talking about is, if you can summarize it, was, it's the ability to be able to focus, right? Yes, yes, definitely. And I, well, one of the things I like just to touch on there is like, how, what, what are your tips for people on that? Because, you know, I think, I have this, one of the things that popped up in my head just, just a minute ago was I've been having this feeling for a while that, to be really honest with people that you are, it is a bit of an uphill struggle. Like I, want to, I want to touch on your fitness and health and nutrition. We do live in a world where it's, in some ways, it's harder than ever to stay focused with all of the different distractions there are mm. around us with social media and media in general. Then you've got the nutrition side. So, you know, we live in a day and age where you can just order your shopping without even having to walk to the shops or drive to the shops. 
You know, you can have food delivered to your door, you can have takeaways delivered. Um, people don't even have to get up to cook now. Mm, people mm. can work from home. People are having to work from home. Yeah. And so, you, you know, there was a time, only like, what, 20, 30 years ago, where you had to walk to work, you had to, you had to cook your own meals, which meant that you're gonna cook whole foods generally. Mm -hmm. um, you had, there was more labor work, so yeah. work was more labor intensive. Um, and so you, you had to move your body, and, but, but the default was, we didn't have an obesity epidemic. That's right. You know, yeah. we now have an obesity epidemic which of mass proportion. And so I kind of feel like people need to be of the understanding that we, you, you, we have like an uphill, we're, we're working against the tide. That's the way I look at it. Like, you, you know, you're swimming against the tide a little bit if your goal is to live a, a kind of meaningful, high-performing, healthy life. Because everything that's coming towards you is kind of not working towards all of those things. It's not, mm. it's not, you know, some people may argue that. It's just kind of my feeling that you need to be more educated than ever on, on, ever on food and nutrition. Yeah. Um, and you, you need to have that self-awareness around this is the current scenario. And, and it feels to me like a lot of people have succumbed to, well, this is just normal now. Yeah. And the new normal is, is, you know, well, it's not a bad thing because this is just the way it is. Yeah. But actually, you're, you're almost 40 and you're competing in a, a, as an athlete in, a, in, a, you know, in the 1% or less than 1% of the world. Mm. And so there's got to be many lessons to be learned. How do you maintain the mentality to, 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 to swim against the tide without it being an effort? Um, the, I would say the most significant thing, if I could describe one um, trait about myself, which I would say determines everything that I've achieved and will achieve, um, is hard work. Now, hard work means a lot of different things to different people, and it's relative to individuals as well. It's hard work for you may or may not be hard work for yeah, me and sure. vice versa. Hard work is working outside the comfort zone in whatever capacity that might be. That doesn't necessarily mean um, in a physical context, in a physical context. It might mean that in the fridge, you have a chocolate bar and you have some fresh fish and you're hungry. Fresh fish is gonna take time to cook and prepare and everything, but it's nutritionally way, way better for you than eating that chocolate bar, obviously. Working outside your comfort zone, i.e. hard work, is the answer to achieving whatever it is you're trying to achieve. The easy thing is to just have a chocolate bar. Yeah. The hard work is to take that piece of fish or whatever it is that piece of food might be that's good for you, prepare it, cook it, wait, then eat it. That's hard work. And that's a very simple thing that many, many people these days really, really struggle. Like the people have so that's to interesting. So like the hard work that used to be, let's say, the labour-intensive jobs that people would have. Yeah. The labour work now is it's more of a mind, mental hardship, Correct. isn't it? Yes. The mental so, hardship of understanding that our decisions may be more difficult. Yes, that's that's the thing. So in this day and age, uh, we live in a, a society globally of convenience. Technology has allowed us to live a much more 
uh, luxurious and convenient lifestyle. Um, without putting roses on it, we're a lot lazier than we used to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's that laziness that has um, changed people's mindset um, about their lifestyles. We are so used to, like I said, the normal now is to order your food online, to um, use a microwave to cook things quickly, to have a ready meal. Um, it's normal now for things to be convenient and quick. Now, I still live in a very old school lifestyle habit because that's my philosophy and my attitude. Uh, my business, although it's been going for 20 years, I still do my business myself, the fencing business. Yeah. I'm out on the tools, digging holes every single day. It's not glamorous, it's very dirty, it's cold outside, it's hot outside. Um, it's a very labor intensive job. And a lot of people will look down on it. Society and culture, especially social media, will be like, oh, what a working class job that is. Mm. Actually, um, without going into detail, the money that the business makes for me through my hard work is quite considerably more than most people in digital jobs and mm. IT jobs and that sort of thing. Um, and that's because of the effort that I put into doing it. Yeah. The byproduct of that, is it develops a mental attitude of working hard. Mm. Now, everything that I do carries those same principles and philosophy of working hard. Some of them are physical, like with the fencing business uh, and with wushu, uh, and some are um, like with the nutrition or with managing stress or how I like to live at home, how I like to relax, um, things that I like to have or own or places I like to go. Usually anything of great effort, people are put off by doing because that is the normal lifestyle for them. They don't know how to develop that hard work mental attitude. Um, and it is relative to everybody. So like kids growing up today. What's the answer then? What is, you know, what, is, it, is it just, just doing the work? It is um, choosing the difficult option. Now, that's not to say that the difficult option um, for me is necessarily right for you because because it's relative mm. the, I, think, I think the gym analogy is always good isn't it yeah you know the person the person that comes into the gym and has never trained before and they do a squat session mm. they do a squat session with you they ain't walking for two weeks that's right yeah you know but they do a lighter squat session to start with yeah and then the people people that train with us here you know the first week they're like, I get texts and calls. Oh, Matt, I can't. I'm really aching. Yeah. Yes, you will ache. <laughs> but I mean, your body gets conditioned, just like when you start to do hard things, do hard work. Yeah. You 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 almost start to enjoy it because you get that fulfillment factor. I can do this. And just like when you see the weights go up in the gym, mm -hmm. it's like, wow. I used to struggle with this weight, and now it's as easy. And the gym is a great starting point for many people who want to better their lifestyle in all areas because it does teach you that um, mental attitude, that hard work will reap success, it will give you results. Regardless of where you are in that journey, um, if you are willing to work outside your comfort zone, then you will improve upon that in every aspect, in every aspect, but most importantly in the gym, it's very, very simple to get involved in that. And it's less about the physical and more about the mental. You've got to be willing to do that. Yeah. If you're willing to step into the gym and take a class, and then for the next three or four days, you're sore because of that class, that's great. 
you have just stepped up your level and worked outside your comfort zone and added it to your mental fitness points. Yeah. But the knock-on effect of that is, when you reach for that chocolate bar or that piece of fish, you're probably more inclined to go for the fish because actually, I'm kind of getting used to hard work. Yeah. And it's, I'm getting good at working hard. Yeah. And one thing that is true about me is I'm very good at working hard. I'm, that's what I've done my whole life because I know that it works and I've got a proven track record. But also, because when you say, keep like saying hard work, it kind of can be like off-putting for people to listen to, but what you got to remember is, what if anyone listened to this, like, what have you ever achieved that you're really proud of? And I can guarantee any person that thinks about that, there probably was a form of hardship in there. Guarantee. And anything that you, if you just said, you're not going to say, oh, well, I watched a Netflix um, series last night, like, you know, it's not going to be anything like that. It's always going to be something that you, whether it was a degree that you worked for, whether it was a course that you completed, whether it was you know something that you organised, something that was really took you through hardship. Because it's only through that that you actually get the fulfilment factor. For sure. Yeah. Nothing great was ever achieved just by thinking about it. Yeah. You know, even in um, in academics, if you want an A star at GCSE or A levels or in your degree you have to study hard. You have to sacrifice those hours where you don't go out drinking and socialising or mm. doing it, whatever it is you want to do, but instead you stay in and you study, you learn this subject or this topic, and then when you revise and you go to that exam, you're prepared, you're ready, you're confident, you've worked hard, and what happens? You get the A, a star grades. You do that on enough exams, guess what? You get entry to Oxford, Cambridge, yeah. King's College, Loughborough University, whatever it is your looking to do so um, that in itself just that as an example dramatically changes your lifestyle you come away from one of those um, highly established universities with a degree the options for you to move into a high paid high profile job are massively different from a different university that you could have gone to simply because at the age of 15 or 16 or 17 or 18 you decided not to go out when you could have instead you stayed in and you studied hard yeah. you're working hard but that mental attitude is what gives you those results. And that, and that, when you achieve that in, say, you know, your athlete, um, you know, Iwushu or whatever, it translates into other areas of your life, right? So, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm curious. So, so with, with regards to challenges, would you say there's bigger or just different challenges when it comes to, you know, building your acting and your stunt stuntman career compared to your Wushu? Championships. One thing I've learned over the last 20 years is that um, the subject matter changes, depending on what you're interested in, but the principles of philosophy remain the same. And this is why Napoleon Hill says it's a life philosophy, it's a life transforming philosophy. And it can be applied to anything and everything, from the smallest to the very, very largest. And depending on how much of your time and effort you want to put into those pursuits, um, will ultimately result in how much success you're going to achieve. You know, yeah. If you decide to diet, for example, one day per week, then it's going to take you many, many, many months yeah. to achieve your dietary goals. Yes, uh, I, I had that experience today where I wrote a really, what I felt like a really good social media post um, and it got crickets. Yeah. But I didn't care because it, I, knew, I knew it meant a lot to me. I, um, I may rewrite it. But basically, I wrote a post about how what decisions, it's all about decisions. And like, 
the insignificance that you have when you make one poor decision. You know when people say, oh, do you know what? It's been a long, stressful day. I'll just have a takeaway tonight. I won't, I won't yeah. bother making Or I'm going to skip a workout because I've got a long to-do list. I've got to go shopping. I've got to run some errands. And like those in the moment, they they seem like completely insignificant. Yeah. Um, without real and, and what I wrote, the, the post was all about tomorrow, there is, there's not always another tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Because people tell themselves, oh, I'll start, I'll do the workout tomorrow. I'll, I'll eat the healthy food tomorrow. I'll start the diet on Monday is one of the most popular ones, right? Yeah. But we all know life isn't infinite. No, there's, not. there's not always going to be a tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And you, you've got to take that those small decisions, those in the moment decisions, we're all going to have them because we're human. But one, one really good goal is to try and reduce the amount of times we tell that story to ourselves, that bullshit story that there's just tomorrow. I can, I, yeah. I can do it tomorrow. And the more time you tell that story, the, the well, the problem is that can become a habit and people, people habituate that. Yes, absolutely. And then that, that does, that you really are swimming against the tide because you know, if you're doing that for 10 years, and then suddenly you find yourself three, four, five stone overweight, mm-hmm. you know, energy, diabetes, you, you've got a big task on your hand and it's not too late to make change. Many of our members make transformational changes at that point, but you don't really want to get to that point. No, I think that's the problem with society in general. Um, we are massive procrastinators and it's all, we, we don't have this idea that time is running out and it's not a nice thing to think about i mean i like to um, really open my mind to the vastness of the universe and the infiniteness of time and space and all of that kind of thing um, and it, it makes me just makes me realize um, just how small and insignificant i am in the grand scheme of the universe um, and that's not to um, put a negative spin on it but it does make me realize that actually Time for us as human beings on this planet is finite, and the sooner we get started on that that we want to achieve, the sooner we can start seeing results from the effort. Well, it's having that perspective, isn't it? It's putting everything perspective because time gives us perspective. Yeah. And you're on honest with yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just want to I don't want to get just to finish up. We've got like five ten minutes left. Like, what does a typical training week look like for you? Mm -hmm. You know. Are we talking, you said you got more into conditioning. How much time, if you're coming up to a competition, would you spend on skill work compared to like conditioning work? Mm. So, like most um, sports at a very, very high level, um, training is not the same year throughout. Yeah. Um, it can't possibly be, um, because you would burn out or you would just plateau, get bored. Um, so I tend to um, put my training year into three segments. Off-season, pre-season, competition season, which right. is quite standard for most sports. Yeah. Um, competition season is the shortest time period of training, but also the most high-intensive, and also the highest possibility of injury and burnout, which um, for that period of time requires the most amount of focus and dedication um, to every aspect of my life in order for it to work and for me to peak at the right time of competition. So, um, looking at uh, competition season specifically, 
we choose the major competition for the year, sometimes that's the Europeans or the Worlds, um, and then everything leads up to that, all the pre off-season and pre-season training leads up to that. We then have a window of anything from three months to six weeks in order to have this uh, competition season training. And that escalates in intensity right up to the week of competition. Uh, the diet becomes a lot stricter. Yeah. Um, I even at the. Um, so is the, is the goal with the diet to be as light as you can? It's to be or, as lean as I can. Right. Okay. Because one, I used to think that being lighter was going to be the answer, but actually, power to weight ratio is relative. You could be very very light, but um, you might not have a lot of muscle mass. Therefore, you don't have um, a good power to weight ratio. There's that happy medium, and that takes years to discover about yourself. It's a very power-based sport, right? Very explosive I mean, power. One yeah. thing I haven't mentioned, like the reason me and Steve met some, how many years uh, ago? At least, uh, must have been about 12, 13 yeah. years ago. Like was um, you were my first athlete trained, tra like I tra trained you up until the Beijing Olympics, right? That's correct, yeah, yeah. Um, and I've got to say, that was some of the funniest training I've ever done with anyone ever since. I mean, the, some of the stuff that we were doing, um, some metrics, of the jumps, and, uh, lots stuff. of plyometric work, lots of high jump work. Mm. Um, we were doing stuff that I didn't think people could do. <laughs> you were like, you were like, tell me to, tell me, try and hit the bar on my hips and I'll jump over it. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> um, but so so yeah. I mean, um, just just going back to training, very very power based. So you want to you want to keep that a certain amount of lean muscle mass. That's correct. Yeah. So um, I spent a lot of time, uh, sort of 2012, 2013, um, as I was getting into my 30s, learning about body composition and how diet and training yeah. affects that. Um, very much from a bodybuilder's perspective. So I have a quite a few friends who are competition bodybuilders yeah. who get on stage, and they are the masters of body composition manipulation and training. Yeah. Um, not in the... Um, um, yes, I know what you're saying. in that sense. <laughs> yeah, in, 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 in the natural, natural sense. In a natural sense. Yeah. Um, so I spent a lot of time learning about that, reading a lot of books, being coached by a lot of people. Um, and I used that to help me manipulate my body composition to be in the best possible shape for peak competition. So my goal is always to be at my lightest but most explosive, yeah. which usually means the lowest body fat percentage I can get to whilst maintaining um, the highest VO2 max I can achieve, um, right. pushing my lactic acid thresholds, but also being as explosive as possible, jumping as high as I can, sprinting as fast as I can, and being as flexible as I can. This is the nature of wushu. It's so physically demanding in so many areas that are actually contradictory that trying to keep peak levels of all of them is a very, very difficult job. Yeah. Without getting injured or plateauing or. So you're out. doing a combination of strength training, like full. Are we talking full body, body yeah. weight training? Yeah, it has to be full. Yeah, I mean uh, the off season is where we build power. We yeah. build raw strength. So off season, which is three to four months, I'm heavy squatting, heavy bench pressing, a lot of compound lifts. Um, working on technique like clean and jerk and all yeah. of that kind of stuff. Um, I generally tend to go up to about 84 kilos during that time. Um, eat a lot of food, my calories are quite high. Generally they are anyway. Um, but that's 
just building this big raw foundation. Pre-season, when smaller competitions begin, um, I take a step off the massive heavy conditioning and start introducing plyometrics. Um, my diet changes from um, high carb, high protein, low fat to moderate carb, moderate fat, and high protein. Right. Drop some calories during pre-season, start shedding some body fat. Um, introduce light cardio, nothing too heavy, yep. and basic plyometrics. Competition season is very, very intensive. We're doing um, a lot of um, skill training in the Wushu sessions, which is basically our full-out competition yeah. performances, working very specifically on minor details, ironing out all the um, small issues, working for consistency more than anything, week in, week out, building that consistent performance yeah. every time. Constantly monitoring our um, fitness as well and our uh, injury um, possibilities. Have you had injuries? I've had injuries. I've never broken a bone ever in my life, mm. despite being I've a never, man. I've never known you to have an injury. Nothing that's um, pulled me out of competition. Right. Um, fortunately for me, my um, training. So you obviously sound. trained well. Yeah, it's training huge. It's about education. Yeah, You know, learning what sort of things you need to do to not get injured. And that's one of the cornerstones of my training in my 30s and definitely into my 40s. Putting into the conditioning, not just performance enhancement, but the um, offset of injury. Yeah. So working around the knees, the ankles, the lower back, um, making sure that these areas are um, mobile, stable, strong, and ready to take on the wushu training. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. Uh, the nutrition obviously plays a huge part of that because that part, that's all part of the recovery. Have you got any competitions coming out today? Not this year, no, all the competitions for this year have been cancelled obviously. Yeah. Um, we'll be back to it um, around April next year. Okay. Um, our first competition will be every year. And then um, the World Championships in Texas in 2021, November, will be the first competition any 40 year old athlete has ever done. Wow. Uh, the World Championships. So you're going to want to prove yourself there. <laughs> my training's already begun for that competition. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Yeah, that's exciting. What, just to, so what's your, when, have you got a mind, end in mind, or not really at this point? Not um, no, I still stick to the philosophy uh, that longevity is key. Yeah. So long as lifestyle and physicality allows, I will continue to compete. Yeah. I often joke that I'm going to stop competing then or whenever and I'll get too old for this. But in reality, if I'm honest, I will keep going unless something dramatic changes. Yeah. And what about the stunt stunt man and acting, you know, is that is that busy at the moment? Is that um, I've just finished a music video actually, uh, two weeks ago. It was my first um, first job this year for stunt work. Yeah. Um, for a very prolific London rapper. I won't mention his name. Okay. Uh, yeah, because wow. it, well, it hasn't been released yet. So right, okay. um, but it's a one-of-a-kind music video that's never been done before, some very high-profile stunts. Yeah. So, um, and you've not injured yourself doing any stunts either? No, actually ne never. I've never had um, a stunt injury that has caused me any long-term injury. Knocks, bumps and bruises yeah. is, is normal for stunt work. Yeah. Um, but touch wood, luckily, I've never been involved in a, a serious, serious injury. And, and like, just, just to finish up, just on the mental side, is there much of a difference in the mental preparation that you go through leading up to a, a wushu competition than say like a, a big acting role or a, a big stuntman role? 
Um, going back to the idea that um, my philosophy on everything, the principles are generally the same for everything, um, I would say the mindset for these things is pretty much the same. I always approach new things and different things um, with the template that I have for Wushu. So when I get ready for a competition and when I'm at the competition, the whole mindset that I've created in order to successfully compete, I carry that into auditions, into um, filming, um, so that I have a familiar template yeah. with which to work. So that, yeah. I'm, so that I'm not guessing what's gonna happen next. Um, sometimes it doesn't always work, yeah. but it then becomes a learning experience. Yeah. But nine times out of 10, um, everything that I do in other pursuits follow the same philosophy and mindset that I have for Wushu. So just to wrap it up then, so what would be your top tips for helping people achieve a level of mastery in whichever endeavors in their life that they're shooting for? Um, first and foremost, have a good why. Not just, um, not just anything superficial. Keep asking why mm. until it brings you right back. It might take days or weeks or for some people months and years to figure out your why. And it's ever changing as well, it's isn't always it? Always changing. So it's yeah. not something you just. I think this is the mistake people make with the whole why is they think that that's like an end destination, and they think once they get to that end destination, then everything will be hunky dory. That's right. But like you say, it's a constant thing. Like why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And that will always constantly change. It changes as you grow and as you learn and mm -hmm. as you as you start to achieve things, the why becomes something different. And that's what keeps us in constant forward motion. I feel like people get to adulthood and their why tends to stop. Like, you know, mm. when you're young, you might want to be a super, like, well, for you, you've kind of lived your dream. You, you, you saw Bruce Lee and you saw Jean-Claude Jean -Claude Van Damme and you wanted to be that person. You pretty much lived that dream of being on the screen. But, you know, your why will be different now than it was it 25 is, years has, ago. It has changed a lot over the years. Um, I think alongside that is the ability to work hard. Um, get comfortable being uncomfortable mm. because um, you only achieve things outside of your comfort zone. It doesn't have to be dramatic to begin yeah. with, but develop the habit and the attitude of working hard towards something you want. Because if you have that mindset, you will always achieve, always. That's a really awesome place to finish, Steve. I think we could probably be talking for another three hours, to be fair. But thanks, thanks so much for um, you know being on this podcast, and hopefully we can have you back and we can explore some of those topics a little bit more. I'd love to explore coaching mm. next time. Yeah, if there, is, if there can be a next time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I particularly want to talk a bit more about your, your mentor. Maybe we can have him on the podcast. Yeah. Um, but thanks again. Thanks again for joining us. Any last words? Where can people um, find you? Um, so all of my social media is um, Steve Wushu. Yeah. One word. That's Steve W U S H U. Uh, that's Instagram and Facebook. So if anybody wants to ask me any questions about Wushu or acting or stunt work, um, then by all means reach out to me there. Um, yeah, that's it. Any favourite movies that you've been in that you, uh, you'd recommend? <laughs> um, the last movie I did was uh, Six Underground, which was a Michael Bay, Ryan Reynolds film uh, okay. a couple of years ago. 
Um, so um, if you want to see me get my head blown up, um, <laughs> check out Six Underground. It's about probably 20 minutes before the end. I get a flash grenade in the mouth and pff, my head Nice. Goes. Claims so, of fame there. Claims of fame. So a uh, big stunt job for me that was. So, it um, sounds it. <laughs> yeah, it was, exactly. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a good movie to check out. Fantastic. Thanks, man. You're welcome. Thank you very much. This episode was sponsored by LPT Meal Prep. After years of hearing the excuse, Matt, I never have the time to eat healthy or cook healthy meals. I finally decided to do something about it. So we're now offering pre-cooked healthy meals delivered to your door. When you go to our website, you can see all of the nutritional information. And um, it's a real simple three-step process. So you put your order in, you'll receive your pre-cooked meals, and then you pop them in the microwave for three or four minutes. So all you need to do is head on over to bit.ly forward slash LPT meal prep. So that's bit.ly forward slash LPT meal prep. And on your first order, you'll get a 10% discount. Some of my favorites are the halloumi Nikor's salad, the naked beef burger, the naked mushroom fajita, and the teriyaki salmon. But go ahead, choose which meals you like, or you can build your own. Enjoy. Enjoy.